Hello and welcome back to the Politics Unbox podcast. Uh, we're going back to investigating ideologies, uh, going back to socialism, and we've moved past fundamentalist socialism, which means it's time to have a look at revisionist socialism, which, um, in essence, is the belief that socialism can be achieved without the destruction of um, capitalism and private property and without the upheaval of a revolution. Um, it's a form of evolutionary socialism, uh, but it's a little bit different from uh, world democratic socialism. So we'll have a look at revisionist socialism, and it's got a lot of strands to it. So let's have a go. Um, revisionist socialism is, well, it's a revision of Marx's original view that socialism is incompatible with capitalism. Um, like some strands of fundamentalist socialism, it also revises uh, Marx's view that socialism can only be achieved via a revolution. Um, there are three important strands, really, of revisionist thinking. Um, they are classical revisionism, social democracy, and third-way revisionism. And I'm going to try and get through all of them today. So the earliest form of revisionist socialism, classical revision revisionism, came from German socialist Edward Bernstein. Um, and he noted that by the end of the 19th century, uh, working classes and their condition was steadily improving under capitalism. So there was really little evidence that history was unfolding, unfolding in the way Marx had predicted. Um, and that the sort of dialectical materialism um, wasn't really materialising. So this led to the argument that if overseen by people upholding socialist principles, then capitalist economies could possibly provide greater improvements to workers' conditions if that government was able to contain the the worst features of capitalism. Then said um, that to get this, you could widen the franchise, um, create a working class majority amongst the voters. Um, and as he saw this happening across Europe and across the developing world, um, he thought that socialist governments were now increasingly likely and therefore governments could insist on these socialist principles, so improve conditions for the workers, um, uh, landlords improving conditions for their tenants, all of which would sort of take the rough edges off the problems of capitalism, therefore eliminating the need for a revolution, but still solving the problems that would have required one. Um, he endorsed a lot of the ideas promoted by uh, early democratic socialists, so the Fabian Society, uh, Webb, uh, Beatrice and Sidney Webb, um, and he shared the Fabian Societies in the belief of a gradual parliamentary road. Um, but the difference, really, between this classical revisionism and early democratic socialism is that democratic socialists still had this irreversible contempt for capitalism. Um, they thought that the struggle for socialism could in no way coexist with an economy based on private property, with a full capitalist economy, or with anything resembling a full capitalist economy. Classical revisionism is less fussy about this economic purity of purging capitalism because of the way they saw that socialist governments could temper the excesses of capitalism. They, and people like Edward Bernstein, were fine with this coexistence. Um, there was not this contempt of capitalism. Socialism can coexist with a capitalist economy. That is, basically, 
classical revisionism. Very early, very nebulous, not too much meat on the bones. Which leads to social democracy. And in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, you get social democracy and social democratic parties popping up basically everywhere. Um, and a lot of them are inspired by by Marx, a lot of them inspired by revisionist socialism. Um, but by the mid-20th century, we have a big step away from Marxist-Leninist ideas. And it creates this important strand of revisionist socialism. And they sort of are born out of the West German Social Democratic Party, which is one of Europe's most influential social parties. Um, SPD revisionists, so people like Willy Brandt and Helmut Schmidt, they persuaded the party to renounce Marxism and embrace modern capitalism and the post-war West German state. Um, There were also British elements to this. Anthony Crossland, in a book, The Future of Socialism, um, came to be seen as a key, which came to be seen, sorry, as a key work of post-war social democracy, also had a lot to say about uh, this new form of social democracy. Um, Crossland argued, and this is a key tenet of social democracy, that the reformed capitalism, this this new form of capitalism that you see in the work of the economist John Maynard Keynes, um, this is where the state is intervening and managing, tempering these market forces, has guaranteed full employment and strong economic growth. As such, Crossland said that because of Keynesian economics, capitalism is no longer vulnerable to peaks and troughs, and therefore you can rely upon it to finance this richer, fairer and more classless society. Um, So this Keynesian economy ends the the dog-eat-dog capitalism. There's now um, this constant expansion of public spending, constant expansion of state welfare and constant progress towards the socialist goal of greater inequality. He would go on to argue that by resolving these inherent problems of capitalism and um, establishing socialism is not just about common ownership, Keynesian economics is allowing socialists to look at other methods that um, through which greater equality can be secured. This ends the unequal uh, forms of education. Uh, Anthony Crossland, a, an education secretary, um, he didn't like the 11-plus grammar school uh, exams, things like that, uh, and he pursued these ideas for equality through other means as well, whilst he was Secretary of State for Education, um, trying to put forward comprehensive education. Uh, the um, schools where, of all economic talents you were accepted. Now that's a slightly different point. Um, There are differences um, in terms of federal plans. Um, Anthony Crossland didn't like a federal Europe. The Social Democratic Party of Germany, Branton Schmidt, spoke warmly about the prospect of a federal Europe. Um, The reason Crossland strays from endorsing this federal European idea is saying that Keynesian economics requires a national government to retain autonomy over their economic strategies. Um, But it is nonetheless this Brandt-Schmidt-Crossland axis, if you will, that is a defining feature of democratic socialism. This idea that the Keynesian mixed economy is tempering the... uh, tempering the excesses of capitalism to a state wherein capitalism and socialism can actually coexist uh, because socialists are in charge of capitalism 
and um, really they can direct the market to help where it is required. This Keynesian mixed economy allowing the government to manage the market forces and to yeah direct the, the greater riches that can be obtained from within this capitalist system to eliminate inequality where they see it. Now, this isn't saying that Anthony Crossland uh, loves capitalism, and it isn't saying that democratic socialists, or sorry, people who follow social democracy, a little bit subtly different to democratic socialists, um, f- follow or like capitalism. But they see that this Keynesian economic system of capitalism does the job. There's no need to remove the capitalist system when you can make the capitalist system work for you and it might just be more profitable than having a fully governmentally stage-managed economy. Right then, to move on to the last strand of uh, revisionist socialism and that is third-way revisionism. And this is a big one and it's also a controversial one. It's called third-way revisionism, sometimes called neo-revisionism, Um, And it is associated with the new Labour government of Tony Blair and uh, Gordon Brown. And some people would not associate this with socialism at all. Some people would think of it as just another update because an ideology has to move with the times. I'll go through it. It is linked to socialism, whether or not you accept it as socialism. Um... I will go through it in detail, or in as much detail as I can in the remainder of this podcast, and see what we can find, and see if you think it is socialism or something new. So, third way revisionism. Um, Sort of springs out of the 1990s with this Blair-Brown axis, um, a time really when fundamentalist socialism is not a very persuasive or popular ideology. Um, The Soviet unions collapsed, market economies were getting their way into Russia and former Eastern Bloc nations, and even China was starting to open up its doors to a capitalist economy. Um, This really is seeming to render most of the Keynesian economic systems redundant. Um, The failure of nationalisation in the UK, according to... um, popular opinion throughout some part of the 1980s, which then led to the extensive privatisation of the 1980s, really gave the Keynesian economic system a bit of a kicking. Um, Revisionist socialism had to change its ideas if it wanted to be electorally successful, because the Keynesian mixed economy just wasn't getting the same love and attention that it was getting throughout the 1970s, when both major parties were pretty much in agreement with it. Heath and Wilson had very similar ideas on how to govern the country, um, even if Mrs Thatcher didn't. Um, So this update to revisionist socialism by Anthony Giddens, who's um, sort of credited as being the main author of this third-way revisionism and third-way socialism... um, his ideas was really to triangulate this social democratic wish for more equality within a capitalist economy that is no longer Keynesian. This is neoliberal. He's trying to bring together two 
real but they seem to be opposite in all but in all but this third way setting neoliberalism associated with thatcher uh, the social democracy associated with with wilson uh, they don't seem to be on even the same coin let alone sides of one um, he's trying to reconcile the task of these socialist parties seeking office with an electorate that is increasingly part of this neoliberal economy um, and for anthony giddens he still thinks of this as socialism, which is very much why um, this is in the socialism category. Anthony Giddens encouraged people on the socialist side to go with the flow. His words, not mine. Um, and not to rail against this free market neoliberal economy. To actually encourage further privatisation and deregulation. It's the modern way to boost economic growth and the best way to boost government tax revenues, according to Anthony Giddens. That means, this boosting of tax revenues, that there is now more opportunity for the government to boost spending in the name of more inequality. Now, the most controversial aspect in terms of its acceptance of socialism, um, of third-way revisionism, it's also the most important part of third-way revisionism, um, is a revision of the attitude of this strand of socialism to equality of opportunity oh sorry equality of outcome now according to anthony giddens i'm going to keep referring back to him because he is basically the father of third wave revisionism greater equality of opportunity probably requires more inequality of outcome this is a sharp turn away from basically the fundamental principle of socialism which is equality of outcome his reasoning behind this is that in a neoliberal economy, increasingly unequal outcomes often walk alongside increasing rates of economic growth. And if the outcomes become less unequal, then it often comes with slower growth and therefore smaller tax yields, less public spending and less opportunity to use those government revenues to help the problems of society's poorest. It's a long, long way from traditional socialism and any previous form of revisionist socialism. I'm not going to deny that. Between 1994 and 95, Blair and Brown accepted this and managed to persuade the Labour Party to renounce Clause 4. Now, I mentioned Clause 4 um, in the last podcast. Um, that's about common ownership. New Labour really broke away from a lot of principles of socialism. But the tax burden, despite the acceptance of a neoliberal economy, rose far more than it would have been allowed to do under any average conservative government. The idea of third revisionism is to accept the, new, the, the neoliberal economy in order to harness it to increase public spending and therefore increase um, the average situation of the average person. Um, there was a massive rise in public spending. 39% of GDP was spent uh, by the government in 1997. Um, 47% in 2010, that's the start and the end of um, the new Labour period. Now, some people would see that as economic mismanagement, and I'm not going to get drawn into commenting. Uh, but to Anthony Giddens, this hard this deregulation of the banks and financial services on one hand 
alongside increases in public spending on the other, is a robust example of what the third way should look like. Um, now, that's not the only distinction between social democratic and third way revisionism. I know the third way also placed emphasis on cultural and political equality, um, reflecting perhaps a more cosmopolitan and diverse society in the 1990s than the 1950s when social democracy was all the rage. Um, he also argued, that Anthony Giddens that is, that because globalisation has meant governments were less influential economically, it is fitting that third way governments should address other maybe less economic examples of inequality within society. Racial equality, gender equality, sexual equality. Uh, Blair's government put forward civil partnership legislation for gay couples. Also brought in measures designed to redistribute political influence, devolved government acts, a human rights act. The third way is not an abandonment of socialist principles in its entirety. It leaves some of them behind, but you could argue that it actually enhances more than it takes away. That's the argument I would make about third-way revisionism. Um, the aim, really, was to equalise social and political power through their reforms, and they would argue and defend themselves by saying that that aim is perfectly appropriate to give to socialism in a modern setting. Right then, we have covered the majority of the forms of socialism. In the next episodes of Investigating Ideologies, I will go over socialism today, I'll go over conservatism in other forms, and liberalism in other forms, and nationalism in other forms, and then update them to the modern day. If you have any questions about ideologies, please do get in touch with the podcast, politics.unbox on Instagram, or politics.unbox at outlook.com. Um, I welcome any questions, suggestions, um, if you want to come on the podcast and talk um, in depth about any particular topics, again, more than welcome. Um, just get in touch uh, and uh, I'm sure we can work something out. But for now, that is all the time we have today on the Politics Unbox podcast. I want to thank you very much for listening. I will see you around again soon for the next one and goodbye.